Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to History Hack. More specifically, welcome to Bitey Week. Woo! Uh, this was basically to torture Alina, um, and I think it worked. She's not here. Uh, but anyway, it's Saturday evening. We're very excited. It's a bit of a party vibe in town because Beth is going to be hosting this one with me. Hey, Beth. Hi, Alex. How you doing? Mummy Beth's there as well. Yeah, she's here in the background enjoying all of the history. <laughs> We've been for an Indian, right? Yeah, we have. It was wonderful. How does it feel to go out for a meal? Oh, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. It really is. To have plans on a Saturday afternoon in the summer. But did they actually do that thing where they like, you get to the door and it's basically like the third degree just to get through the door of the restaurant? Like, Yeah, we got there and I'd rang and said a half an hour before, I said, can we just pop in? They said, yeah, of course. And then we got there and I was like, have you booked a table? No, because you told me it was fine. <laughs> have you got the NHS app? No. Have you got a camera phone? And it's like, all right, hang on, I'll do it all. But you don't have to, like, jump yeah. on my throat. A cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but we had a great time. <laughs> We're going to have a great time tonight as well because we have a very special guest. We have historian and author and down the pub regular, Mr. Chris Sams with us. Uh, and he's really nervous and he so shouldn't be because he's going to talk to us. Uh, we're going World War One boaty today, aren't we? That's why you're here, because you were like, I need to know about World War One boats. Yeah. Uh, and so do I, because specifically, in case you haven't noticed on down the pub, Chris, you're a little obsessed with the German Navy, aren't you? Just, just a little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? Um, I'm not... In- it, it's it sadly it started with wikipedia on an early shift i was on the train at 4 30 in the morning and um you know they come up with like um articles you might might be interested in and um the first one that popped up was on uh the emden and i thought well i don't know anything about that so i read that and then i read the follow-up articles on von spey then the battle of the falklands battle of coronel and um then the centenary rolled around and I just found myself writing about it and then just obsessively reading uh, quite a bit about it. It's brilliant. I love it. Uh, Cause basically you're going to, you're going to talk to us today specifically about German cruiser warfare, aren't you? Um, and like German imperialism. And what I love that is Sophie's with you as well. Sophie is awesome and adorable and she's wearing a tiara and we're pleased to have her as well. She's here to hear what daddy's got to say. I have done a book on this. Set the scene for us with the German Far East, because the Germans do have a diddy little empire in 1914, don't they? So what have the Navy got to do with it? And tell us about the setup. 
it, like you said, it's one of the uh, common misconceptions. Again, thanks to Blackadder, the German Empire consisted in 1914 of a small sausage factory outside Lake Tanganyika, which um, <laughs> they actually had a bit more than that. Um, they were late to the party, though, um, seeing as they didn't become a country until uh, a unified country until uh, after the Franco-Prussian War in 1871. But before that, in 1861, they gained permission from uh, China in the Treaty of Peking uh, to allow a Prussian and then later German ships into, into Chinese waters. The Germans weren't entirely happy just with this because they had to rely on um, other, other nations' ports. So they were using Britain, uh, Britain's Hong Kong concession, uh, Nagasaki in Japan and um, Shanghai for all the uh, maintenance things. And basically they wanted their own, their own port. And in uh, 1894... Uh, during the first Sino-Chinese, Sino-Japanese War, Rear Admiral Paul Hoffman, was, who was in charge of the uh, East Asian Geschwader, East Asian Squadron, was tasked with trying to find a, a, a permanent base for for the Germans, uh, for the German Navy over there, because they were basically they would basically be the ones that would be policing the area for them and representing German Germany in any any issues. And, and Hoffman really wanted to get Kaohsiung uh, Bay. And in 1896, Hoffman was replaced by uh, Rear Admiral Tirpitz, who everyone probably knows, uh, will have heard about at some point. And before he became famous for build- his shipbuilding, he was in charge of the East Asian Squadron, and he too wanted to get out of Shell Bay. laughing because he's more important for the, for the pig in the Imperial War Museum, which we'll <laughs> yes. get to later, right? <laughs> pig. We'll come to Tirpitz the pig as well at some point. Everyone loves but- it. Everyone loves the Tirpitz. He will have his moment in the sun, don't worry. Briefly. Yeah, and so he, he also wanted to get but in his final report, he, he kind of was a bit uncertain, so the Kaiser didn't really push for it. However, he was then later replaced by von, Admiral von Diet- um, Diedrich, who made it his mission that he was going to get Kiaoshao Bay. And the following year, on the 1st of November, uh, the missionaries Franz Xavier Nyes and Richard um, Reinhard um, Henley were murdered, the Chinese Big Sword Society. So von Diedrich landed Marines and took the area to police it and bring it back under order, um, then refused to leave. So, And um, as the Chinese sort of tried to protest, uh, larger ships of the German Navy turned up the following month. That March, there was another Treaty of per- Peking, which was 6th of March, which conferred a 99-year lease on uh, Singtao Bay. Basically, the Germans colonised and invested vast amounts of money into, into, the, um, into the city. Uh, they even built their own brewery there, which is where uh, Singtao beer comes from. And it's uh, the only beer from the Far East that is, u- uses German purity law to make it. Not that German uh, purity law, the other beer one. Of so it's a standard way to colonise somewhere, isn't it? Because you get this, this is where the, how the French try and make inroads into Mor- Morocco after the turn of the century. So the Germans aren't really acting any different to any other colonial power. But how do they, I mean, they must be pretty reliant on their navy to administer this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the army have absolutely no input whatsoever. Uh, in fact, that even the governor of uh, Tsingtao is a, is a naval officer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the German Empire then expands in the Far East, with um, especially after the um, American-Spanish uh, War, because uh, the Spanish find themselves bankrupted by the war and they needed to sell off, need to make need to make money. The Kaiser rolled up and said, "Tell you what, we'll buy all these old islands you don't want." So they end up with like the Car- Carolines, the Marinaras. Is that how they've got the random possessions in the Pacific as the world as well? The Australians and New Zealanders go for in fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, Germany managed to get uh, New Guinea from uh, from Britain, 
which might upset Australians quite a bit, and um, Samoa, which again upsets the New Zealanders, which is why the, um, in 1914 they get really quite quite aggressive to try and get them back as quickly as possible. But the German Navy is, uh, the East Asian squadron becomes really important because with all these islands scattered around uh, the ocean, the only way to get around is by ship. So the Navy, base, and especially with the um, isolated Pacific Islands, because they, they don't have any German citizens living there, they're quite isolated. There's no economic value in them at all. Um, it's just a flag. So having a German uh, gunboat cruise by, wave the flag, fire the guns off and go, you belong to Germany, is uh, quite important. Whenever there's anything, a major political change or war within the Asian, uh, Asian sphere, the, the cruiser squadron rock up, especially um, in 1900 with the, with the Boxer Rebellion and the attack on the uh, Taku forts, the German gunboat Ilts actually is awarded, not the crew, but the ship itself is awarded the Paula Merite. So it has the blue max emblazoned on the hull for it, um, for its actions in fighting against the Chinese forts. Marines under Lieutenant Weiniger uh, go in to um, join uh, Admiral Seymour's advance on Peking. And there's a, there's a painting of them un- marching under the naval flag, and it's uh, called Get Behind the Germans. Uh, because they led it. And then again, in, even in the Russia, Russo-Japanese War of 1905, on 13th of August, the uh, battleship Tsarevich with several destroyers had escaped the Battle of the Yellow Sea and interned in Tsingtao. And they culled up from a British ship and attempted to leave. And the German squadron had to, um, the Hansa and the uh, Forst Bismarck actually blockade them in to stop them from escaping. They're also uh, responsible for policing any rebellions. There was a uh, Soki's rebellion. Basically, the German overseers were being imperial as they are, beating the beating the natives and refusing to give them rights. So a German overseer was murdered, and everyone ran to the hills. So the German navy rocked up and and blasted them to hell, um, which is pretty standard. But it was like several gunboats and a light cruiser. So they they are really important to to administering and policing the area, and uh, the squadron itself is divided up. By 1914, it's divided. You have the uh, Australian station, which consists, should consist of two very elderly gunboats, uh, one of which has already been sent back to Germany and they're waiting her replacement, which is the Guerre. She's coming from Africa. And the Cormoran, which is uh, laid up in Tsingtao Harbour with a dodgy engine. Um, you have the Emden, which is a light cruiser. She's at Tsingtao. Uh, the other light cruiser, Leipzig, is off the coast of Mexico uh, for the Mexican Civil War. Uh, representing German needs. And she's just relieved the Nuremberg, which is on her way back. And then there's the centerpiece of the squadron, which is uh, the two armoured cruisers, Scharnhorst and Neisnau. And Scharnhorst is the uh, flagship of, uh, Grand, of Grand Admiral, uh, Vice Admiral uh, Maximilian von Spee, who um, is ultimately in charge of the entire area for, for the fleet. So before we get to the war... Tell us about Von Spey, because you love this man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just put this in your notes. So go on, you can have like 30 seconds to a minute to tell us why you love this guy. Um, well, he's, um, he's, he's faced with a massive dilemma and he, he, he is alone. The, he, he hasn't got the ability. Berlin basically gives him a free hand and said, look, whatever you think is right, do it. And although he comes across, he, he listens to all his officers and makes decisions based on what they say, he's also, he also suffers from anxiety from the big decisions as well. So he finds himself saying, okay, this is what we're going to do, and then quietly panicking about it. He doesn't smoke to excess. He doesn't drink to excess. He does enjoy a game of bridge. Um, and he, but he's committed to doing um, this one course of action whilst trying to uphold 
the honour of a German officer and not turning to basically piracy. But I'll, I'll come to that in a bit with his war plan. Um, and I just think he, he had a rather unfortunate, a rather unfortunate end, um, however very noble. He also lost his two sons in the process as well. So he has a bit of a, a dilemma, doesn't he, of, in these early stages of, of the First World War, of what he does with his forces, von Speyd. Does he go west? Does he go east? Does he cause chaos in, in the islands, which I think is, is the most appropriate course of action, always cause chaos wherever you can. Um, <laughs> what, do, what does he go for? What does von Speyd end up doing? Your version what? of chaos, though, is just go and drink all the wine and get a bit yeah. shouty. I think his is like <laughs> shame and stuff. It's a good, it's good chaos. <laughs> I think they probably would, a lot of the crew would have gone for that. Um, but for von Spey, it was it was a lot harder because um, he had several choices on his plate. As he said, he could go east. There was a drive for them to go east to head for German East Africa, head out into the Indian Ocean, cause as much chaos as possible on English shipping because they knew that the English and the Australian fleets would be heading down to fight, take the German colonies. So if they had scooted out towards the Indian Ocean, they could um, cause some real damage without seeing any Allied ships. However, Von Spey pointed out that the amount of coal that his armoured cruisers would need to, to continue going, um, they probably wouldn't encounter that many, many ships. Uh, Von Muller, of the captain of the Emden, has decided, says that we should just cruise around and do as much damage as possible around the colonies. But again, um, he says the, um, the Australians have the battle cruiser Australia, which can take out his fleet on its own. Um, its, arm, its armor is too thick. It's got battleship sized guns. It's faster than his ships. And if they run into Australia, the battle's over. Um, the fleet is reliant on its ability to get coal, ammunition, and stay uh, and get repaired where it can. Mm. But von Spey knows that Sing the minute the war starts, Singtao is going to be blockaded. And it's only a matter of time before the colonies go as well. But Singtao is where he's got his ammunition, his coal supplies, and a dry dock where he can um, have his ships fixed. So the only real option open to him that he can see is to head west. He's been told by um, Berlin that Chile and the South American republics are, are, are quasi-friendly to Germany and that they could be able to get coal from there. But um, von Spey then decides as well that maybe it's time to try and attempt a home run and head back for Germany. It's his duty to return his men and his ships to the, Germ to the German flag because they'll be more, more needed in the North Sea. OK, so you've mentioned that Berlin basically trusted their man and said, you're the scrappy little underdog, do what you've got to do. But the British don't do that, do they? Well, Churchill, it, he sees the, the, the naval war as a giant game of chess. And he's, he solely can control all the pieces on the board. He doesn't trust his local commanders or um, even the ship's captains um, and will send out lengthy uh, orders and instructions like he did in the Mediterranean with the, with the uh, chase for Goban and Breslau. It's almost like you're saying he's got a massive ego. Yeah, yeah, that'd be <laughs> fair. Um, <laughs> ego, surely um, not. <laughs> but then at the, at the same time, he, in a way, I'm going to throw him a bow in this one time, throw him a bone and say that he, he can actually see the bigger pe picture, whereas Admiral Jerome in Hong Kong can only see his forces. Admiral Patief of the Australian fleet can only see his forces, whereas, um, to be fair to Churchill and Batten von Battenberg, they have got the map in front of them and they can see where all the squadrons are and what they're doing. So he's trying to coordinate a bigger effort. effort. And because it's such a large expanse, um, the Germans could just slip through gaps. Uh, and basically, Admiral Jerome in um, Hong Kong comes up with a plan of immediately moving out of Hong Kong 
and um, blockading Tsing Tao. But as soon as he leaves, Churchill orders him back. Admiral Patey thinks, we're going to move up and attack. Uh, there are several ports in New Guinea. We'll attack those because that's where the Germans could be hiding. He goes to leave, gets pulled back by the Australian Admiralty because they fear that the Germans are going to attack Australia, which gives von Spey time. Jerem then leaves again and goes to radio silence so that he doesn't have to listen to Churchill. Or, and um, they go and uh, take out the wireless tower of, uh, on Yap Island, which um, the Germans have a, a wireless network across the world which can control and direct all their ships. So the British thinking is if we can take out those wireless um, stations as quick as possible, then um, the German Berlin can't direct them. But von Spey is working on the theory as well. The wireless is all well and good for communicating. But if you send a wireless message, people can triangulate where you are and where that message is coming from. So for the Germans, they try not to use wireless because it will just give away their position all the time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, Churchill... Um, Jerem and Patty, Patty keep finding their hands being tied, even to the point that um, Patty's squadrons get pulled away to support the New Zealand invasion of Samoa, in which they then had to wait 10 days for the troop ships to turn up. And then once they've done that, they get pulled away to support the Australian invasion of New Guinea, which, again, buys von Spey time, and he, keep, and he keeps scootling, um, scootling across the Pacific. You mentioned it briefly earlier, but you talked about the Emden and causing a bit of chaos around British colonial sites, um, like around Madras and, and places like that. But why, why is it a name that we all know so much? Why is it synonymous with, with those pesky Germans? Well, the Emden the Emden's quite, um, that's quite a glittering career. She, sink, she captures 20 Allied merchant ships and sinks two warships. Oh, on her own um von muller um well, von spey did see the uh the the logic in uh, von muller's plan and actually released emden as well as the um hilton cruisers uh cormoran and uh, prince eitel friedrich to cause chaos in the area and emden immediately cruised towards uh the indian ocean and along the indian coast they um erected a uh, a fake funnel so she looked like hms yarmouth um possibly the greatest scam in history which i'll be coming to next week um, <laughs> ah, sneak peek <laughs> yeah um and they 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 do they um the behavior of the german crew was uh, considered exemplary by the uh by the uh, british crews that they captured they were all treated well they were all put uh, they um the germans used to have keep one ship as what the first officer of von Mucker called a, um, a, pr a prison ship or junker and where they just put all the prisoners on it. And when it got to a certain level, they would release it to a, to a neutral or friendly port. And because they'd been treated, the British prisoners had always been treated so well on each occasion that these ships were released, they were always greeted the um, fair, uh, gave three cheers for um, the German crew and the captain. Um, they did, do a couple of really ballsy moves. They, they did indeed sail into Madras Harbour, um, where British officers were celebrating the sinking of the Emden, which is they received news. They were all in the club drinking and having a good time as uh, Emden opened fire on the Burma oil drums and then the ships in the harbour, but did not fire a single shell at civilian targets. Uh, and once it had done enough damage, she sailed out. It, it caused a panic and a good chunk of the population fled. Even the governor fled. He didn't return for three days. Um, and then um, it caused a panic. They had to close down all the shipping um, in the area. Whilst the, and the Royal Navy had to stand there with egg on its face going, well, we don't know where it is. Um, 
Emden then went off to the Chagos Islands, where, which were British, and then told them that the, there wasn't that they didn't know there was a war. So they actually used the British to help repair the ship and clean it before sailing into Bedang Harbour, again disguised as HMS Yarmouth, uh, where there was loads of um, merchant ships sat and the Russian cruiser Zemchug, which they then promptly sank with a torpedo. The fox had really got into the hen house, firing off shells left, right and centre, starts chasing what they think is a torpedo boat. It's a government launch. Um, When they realise that the whole situation is getting too hot, Emden pulls out of the harbour, stops one British ship, puts the crews into lifeboats, and the captain hands a letter to the British captain, say, um, apologising for chasing a government launch because they thought it was a warship and also apologising for not stopping to pick up Russian sailors in the water because, in his words, it was too dangerous for the German crew and also we figured there were enough Allied ships around that they could pick them up. They then get attacked by a French destroyer, which they sink, bring the wounded on board, treat them, and then release capture another British ship. But instead of sinking it, they put the wounded onto it and just direct it towards a um, nearby Dutch island where they had a field hospital to, to treat the wounded. So the, the behaviour was seen. Um, it's kind of like Rommel in the Second World War, where you, you need the, obviously in the Western, on the Western Front, you have um, the, the beastly Hun in Belgium. You needed a, a kind of a good German to say, well, actually the chivalric behaviour is actually going on and this is a good enemy that we're fighting, rather than all dastardly Hun. And... and- in this area, there's a lot of um, interaction, I suppose you could say, with like, the Australians and the New Zealanders isn't there, because despite what certain parts of the First World War area would like you to think, the Australian and New Zealanders didn't have their first interactions at Gallipoli, did they? Well, yeah, yeah, the, um, the Australians, uh, as I said, the um, New Zealanders land uh, um, Samoa, um, pretty much uh, unopposed. Uh, the, the Germans on the island say we shall fight to the last bil- bullet, but within a couple of hours, not one bullet's been fired, and the New Zealanders just march up, find find the wireless tower in, uh, near Appia, where the engineers are trying to disable it, and they just cart them off and have it fixed by the next day. Um, at New Guinea, it's a bit more of a bit more of a struggle. Um, the Germans fall back into the jungle and um, dig trenches, have snipers up trees, and the Australian army and uh, naval troops um, have, a, have a bit of a, a bit of a ruck with them, include, um, with snipers picking officers off. Uh, one of the um, Australian officers thinks it's a good idea to try and rally the troops by standing up and waving a, a sword saying, follow me, chums, and um, gets shot through the head. Um, but eventually they find out they capture a German officer and convince him at gunpoint to come with them uh, as uh, one of the reporters put it, strolling up through the jungle um, as if uh, on a Sunday afternoon looking at flora and um, get the German officer to every time they get near some trees to yell to get the snipers out to surrender. And they, they catch the uh, German, what's left of the German garrison um, in that area, having lunch by the wireless station and uh, at gunpoint and take it. And then there's a, there's another battle at uh, Bitterpaka, um, which again is brought uh, down by Australian by the Australian um, HMA, HMAS encounter, but the German Navy roll up there as well because um, one of the auxiliaries, the uh, the Cormoran, which had been a, a Russian ship that the Emden caught in the first few days, uh, was hiding, um, waiting for another ship to uh, for the Prince Eidel Friedrich, when uh, the Australian Navy turned up and it was hidden um, in a in a grove with loads of foliage around it, as the um, Australian Navy went past and the captain had this great idea of, well, we'll wait and wait until they've all gone. 
and then I will land my crew and we will try and take the Australian encampment um, while they're all sleeping. Um, and then they were told, yeah, the, the local intelligence came back and said, no, it's a lot bigger than your crew and you, you will get caught. And then they heard on the wireless that the Australia, the battlecruiser Australia was in the area and they decided to quit the area as well. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. I love this. I love that they're, they're just dastardly. I love it. If I, if I wasn't British um, and they were German, then I would be like, yes, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, but <laughs> I love this as well. It sounds like the dream war because then he decides he's going to go to Tahiti. Like who wouldn't if they had a boat of their own and they're in the Pacific? Who wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I feel a mission coming on in Tahiti and maybe several weeks and there may be rum involved. But, lying on beaches yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a strategic importance to tahiti lying down on a towel <laughs> well before that though they have this um von spey has this that um he sends off nuremberg to get information because he's slowly creeping from lagoon to lagoon resupplying as they go um and they get news from uh, hawaii that um samoa has fallen so he turned he turned he tasks Nuremberg to keep taking it going um, across the Pacific whilst he turns him and himself and Nye's now round and they go hurtling back to Appia um, which takes five days it's about a thousand miles in the wrong direction to in the hope that they're going to catch the allied fleet at, um, at anchor and sink the Australia where it's to, um, but when they get there they find there's no one there except for a lot of very upset Australia, um, New Zealand troops who are all wearing woolen uniforms and sweating. Um, I just say, if I was in Hawaii, I'd be like, no, we plainly wouldn't make it on time. We should just stay here. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the cruisers does, but... Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Sean Horse and Nye's now head to Apia, and all the New Zealanders think, oh, God, in a minute, there's going to be lo- boatloads of angry German Marines coming ashore, and under those guns, we've got nothing that can stop them. But Von Spey thinks, well, even if we do take this island, there is... Um, we can't hold it. So they just cruise off and they, yeah, they decide to get to, um, they decided that with coal shortages, they try and attack um, Tahiti to um, get fresh coal. And so uh, in the early hours of the morning, um, Sean Hoss and Nice now enter the harbour and sink the gunboat uh, Zeli, um, which um, the first officer of Nice now describes as uh, saying that how impudent the French were by firing at us with their pea shooters um, because they only had really tiny guns and the rest of the guns that the, the French lieutenant who was in charge of Zeli had taken charge of the island and put some of the guns up on the on the hill to fire down on them and it even set up armoured cars sort of rudimentary armoured cars in case there was an invasion uh, but they also set fire to the coal reserve so Von Spey had to bite his tongue turn around and fly, um, sail off but that was after they'd wasted ammunition that they'd never get back and so they um, they sailed on to Easter Island. Another high bucket list destination as mm. well. Why does he decide to go to Tahiti? It was mainly for the coal. Mm. They figured that they were, the, um, because the French fleet in the area wasn't too big. It was uh, the cruisers Duplay and Montcalm, and they were uh, back with um, serving at the Battle of Singtao um, and looking for him and his ships in, in, the, in New Guinea and the uh, 
or the islands. So he thought they thought it would be worth a gamble if they could get in, hit hard, take as much coal as they could and get out. It would it would help them along their way, especially that um, early in the journey, they had been hit by a tropical storm. And um, to maximise the amount of coal they could carry, they had coal and livestock uh, on the decks. And of course, the tropical storm washes that all away. They lost loads of food, um, cows, pigs, and more importantly, mountains of coal. So they they desperately needed it. Which they luckily get when they well I say luckily when they get to Easter Island they uh, encounter the cruiser Leipzig which uh, and Dresden and Leipzig brings uh, four ships from the Amasis line um, laden with coal to resupply the squadron. So you just mentioned the Leipzig there and the Leipzig just get up to some uh, some quite interesting exploits don't they? The causes a bit of a scare doesn't it on the west coast with with America and Canada and kind of throws a bit of a spanner in the works what what kind of happens there it's it's to do with trade isn't it well yeah absolutely um she doesn't actually fire a shot and as a raider she has quite a quite compared to Emden and, and the Karlsruhe which is off uh, Brazil she has a really really lame career but um for the Canadians she's she's a, they think she's a full-blown invasion threat because um they don't know where the Nuremberg is so they think Leipzig is cruising around with um, Nuremberg. And also for on the um, west coast of Mexico, the only two British warships are two sloops, which are tiny, the Algerine and uh, Shearwater. And as soon as war's looming, Churchill says, you need to get the hell out of there because if Leipzig comes off, gets, comes for you, you're, you're doomed. And so um, Leipzig starts to chase them as soon as war starts. And the Canadians have only got a very old cruiser the uh hmcs rainbow which is basically decommissioned in the training ship and um she puts to sea just before um the, before war is declared and she hasn't even got any real shells she's got practice shells filled with gunpowder um if she gets into com- com- um, conflict with leipzig she's going to sink and if there's leipzig and nuremberg then she's really in trouble um and even the the captain says the only thing i've got the only weapon i've got of any decent um, stock is my wireless set so I can say Leipzig's here and um, Canada puts out requests for reinforcements but the, the only squadron in the area is Jerem off Hong Kong and he's loath to send any ships until Churchill overrules him and sends HMS Newcastle but um, Leipzig just cruises casually cruises up the coast to San Francisco um, as Rainbow goes hurtling around up and down looking for her and the, and the sloops and they just missed e- miss each other at San Francisco but just the mere threat of Leipzig being in the area means that no British flagships are leaving so there's loads of um, supply um, stocks of food salmon pelts wood and it's just not traveling anywhere which has a massive economic effect between the two countries between across the Canadian uh, American border and then uh, when Rainbow does go out and they think that they are going to see Leipzig, they clear the ship of all flammable kit. Uh, and um, that's washed ashore in, off San Francisco. And they th- they keep finding bits of wood with rainbow on it. And they think that the Germans have actually sunk her. Um, but they managed to miss each other. Um, rainbow goes back up north, finds the Newcastle. But again, there's another invasion scare that, they, that some civilians had seen um, Nuremberg and Leipzig off uh, Rupert Island, Prince Rupert Island. And so Rainbow has to go looking for them. Uh, the captain of the Newcastle then take as a senior naval officer takes over um, building defences, which the Canadian government don't like because it's, it's costing them money. So they actually send a rear admiral out to take over. So they've got the senior officer and they can say, stop spending our money. 
Um, and then a Japanese crew, um, cruiser, the Izumu, turns up and they do a, a proper sweep south looking for Leipzig. But Leipzig's already quit the area because there's no one leaving port. And uh, cruises back down to Mexico where they catch one British ship. And her captain, uh, Captain Hound, decides that the best course of action is to get off the trade route for a bit. So he goes to the Galapagos Islands. Basically, the Germans go around looking at tourist destinations and um, <laughs> they wait there for a couple of weeks. Sounds like the best war ever. Running, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall leg it to another holiday destination and have some cocktails. That's basically what's going on here, isn't it? I mean, that's uh, what absolutely. my priorities would be if I was on, if I was in a war. I definitely wouldn't be in the trenches of the Western Front. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but well, yeah, after after be a genius, isn't he, Chris? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it tries to be. Um, but um, yeah, the Captain Hahn then goes back to the to the trade spy and manages to cap- what, capture one more ship before he gets a wireless transmission from the Dresden, which has come hurtling down the, the coast of um, South America on the west side, the east side, um, and said uh, her orders are to join up with Leipzig and to cooperate together until they realise that there's cruiser squadrons on its way, and then they're both ordered to the um, to Easter Island to join uh, Von Spey with as many supply ships as they can get. And suddenly Von Spey's plan for making a home run is, uh, is back on because he has a lot more coal then he knows what to do with. And um, they start planning the, the next phase. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why does, I'll bring Churchill in now, he decides that the Canopus is going to be the answer to his problems. Why is that? Well, um, the only um, British squadron in the area is um, Kit Craddock's North American squadron, which is actually now operating from uh, New York all the way down to um, the Falkland. um, Craddock has this belief that if he can have enough ships, he um, he he can catch Von Spey. Um, but at the time, he only has two armored, old armored cruisers, uh, the Monmouth and the uh, Good Hope, uh, which are most, mostly crewed by reservists. And the secondary armament is in casements. And if it's rough weather, the, uh, they can't fire because the, the waves are in the way. Um, and he has the light cruiser Glasgow, which is, becomes really important, and the uh, auxiliary, light, which is just a liner, the, the Otranto, which is fitted out with guns. And um, he's pleading with um, Churchill that he needs more ships and that he, he even comes up with ideas to get the um, Exeter Relief HMS Cornwall sent her down. And he wants the new armoured cruiser Defence 
to come and join his forces. But Churchill's convinced that the cannabis, which is a, a, an elderly pre-dreadnought, um, will be would be the answer because he keeps referring it to referring to it as uh, the citadel around which Craddock could build his his forces. Mm. But she's old. I mean, not that old, but old enough that she was going to be scrapped. No one's got their best ships in this area, have they? The best ships well, no. in Europe. Canopus was um, in British waters. She was mobilised um, in 1914 and she'd helped with the convoys across from um, England to France. And then she um, basically what Churchill's doing so he can keep his dreadnoughts in the North Sea to combat the Germans. He's releasing his pre-dreadnoughts um, to areas that, um, to act as, as citadels. So the, the Triumph was um, reactivated in Hong Kong, uh, Swiftshore um, in, off India, and um, Goliath is sent out to Africa, and Canopus is sent out to to hunt down um, to help uh, hunt the German squadron just for her sheer firepower and armor. But she can only do twelve knots, so she will slow That's down the entire squadron. Yeah, yeah it's, it's something like twelve miles an hour, um, roughly, and um, she will slow down the whole of um, Craddock's squadron. And so Craddock keeps arguing, why can't I just leave her at the Falkland Islands? Or she can come up behind us escorting my supply ships and I'll just go ahead with the armoured cruisers. Just for Church people that Admiral, don't know, this is because a squadron only ever travels as fast as its slowest ship, doesn't it? Absolutely, reasons. yeah. Um, and, and it's also been argued that uh, Canopus, if she did run into the German squadron, um, wouldn't be much good anyway. Um, but that's sort of with hindsight. But for Churchill, the Canopus was the answer. And he was trying to get, because um, Churchill was worried that if Craddock went round looking for von Spey and von Spey slipped behind him, if the Germans got to the Falkland Islands and burnt the and destroyed the coaling station there and then sailed north quickly enough and got to the Alborus Rocks and took them out, then the British fleet wouldn't have any um, anywhere to coal South America, South of New York or even the Caribbean. Um, so he was try Churchill was trying to draw a second line of defence off the River Plate with, under Vice Admiral Stoddart. So if von Spade did get past Craddock, he'd be caught there. They were also trying to build up a force uh, off um, Cape Town in case von Spade carried on heading that way towards the Cape of Good Hope. And um, Australia, the Australia, the Izumo and the Newcastle were coming down um, from North America to co and covering Panama to, in case um, von Spade tried to double back that way. So he's slowly being caught in a trap, but they didn't realise that at that point. So um, Craddock goes around Cape Horn with his forces, with Canopus trudging along behind with the supply ships until they uh, get to Coronel. And uh, the Glasgow uh, gets a report that there's uh, German shipping in the area. At the same time, von Spey gets a report that Glasgow's in the area. And so the German squadron starts moving south and transmitting Leipzig's um, wireless signal of LE as if Leipzig is patrolling to try and lure the Glasgow onto them but they get a surprise because they get Craddock's whole squadron who is just a surprise because they just think they're finding Leipzig. So I'm guessing with what comes next is this von Spey's finest hour is it do you think obviously you do as a German no, but, <laughs> subjectively is it his finest hour? I, I think so I mean it's the the first time the Royal Navy has been beaten at sea a whole fleet has been beaten since the Napoleonic Wars and it's a shock because it's not just beaten a little bit it is it's routed um, the um, the Germans stick to the coast uh, which means um, as they come down to the south uh, with the 
British out to sea. And although Von Spee's in the dicey, the dicey position that um, the sun, he's, his gunners are firing into the sun, so they can't really see, they just have to play for time. Mm. Because as the sun sets, the British ships become silhouetted against the sun so they can see them. Whereas the German ships, are, uh, you can't pick them out because they're a dark mass against the dark mass of the, la- of the coastline. And so, and the German, um, the Ostasian English father had been, um, the Kaisers had won the Kaisers shooting cup two years running. They were expert gunners. And um, the orders were that the Scharnhorst would concentrate on uh, Good Hope. Neisner would concentrate on Monmouth. And um, at that point, there was only Dresden and Leipzig. They'd concentrate on Glasgow and the Otranto. Craddock orders Otranto to get out of there because she's an ocean liner. She's got no armor. She can't stand this fire. She's so the two light cruisers right? are just. Yeah. 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 Just with some extra guns strapped on. Yeah. So she's just um, like, basically, so and, that's just the scenario whereby the government have paid towards building her so that they can call her up for service in the event of a war. They yeah. Yeah. Guns on her and sent her to war. Yeah. They, um, both England and Germany did it. Um, uh, lots of German liners had uh, mounting positions on them and uh, the cruisers in the Caribbean, um, Dresden and Karlsruhe had extra guns on the uh, board so that they could um, arm any merchant ships or liners that they came across. And the Karlsruhe armed the um, Kronprinz Wilhelm, which is basically the German version of the Titanic. Yeah. Um, and then like we didn't um, the Lusitania, did we? Because they said the coal consumption was ridiculous so that she'd be actually, it would be detrimental to the war. Absolutely. And that's what happened to Crown Prince Wilhelm as well. She was um, just the amount of sheer amount of coal that she was consuming. It just they couldn't they had trouble sustaining themselves, uh, even in cruiser warfare. Um, The Cormoran, which got left behind in the in the Pacific, had a similar thing. And um, she had to intern herself at Guam because she just they just ran out of coal. Uh, I think they turned up with only a few, a few kilos of coal and um, coconut husks, which is all that they could find to burn. And um, the Prince Idol Friedrich abandoned the Pacific and chased after the cruiser squadron because they'd managed to find enough coal. But yeah, the liners were just not suited to the, to, to the, to the war that they thought they might be useful for. But Coronel, how bad is it for the Royal Navy? It's, it's awful. Going back to the Mediterranean, Ab, um, Admiral Trowbridge, who'd been in charge of the first cruiser squadron, had misinterpreted... Well, no, Churchill had given very vague orders not to engage a superior force when what Churchill meant was don't engage the Austrian fleet if it comes south yeah but as the battle cruiser Goban went hurling past um Trowbridge um, and his first officer uh Captain Ray Fawcett Ray considered that a battle cruiser was superior to his entire force because it was faster than them it had longer range than them so could just keep sailing in circles and sink his entire fleet so Trowbridge didn't engage Trowbridge gets sacked as does his superior Admiral um Berkeley Milne Trowbridge was a friend of um, uh, Craddock. So Craddock has this terrify- has this concern that if he doesn't engage, he too will get sacked. I mean, Trowbridge is going to be put up for um, court-martial. And so Craddock doesn't want that dishonour. In fact, before leaving the Falkland Islands, he said to, um, he left a letter um, for a colleague that basically blamed Churchill for his death and had buried all his uh, medals in the governor's garden because he knew that he would have to engage. And which is what he then does following the sort of the Nelson tactic of move closer, keep um, fire. So he's trying, he turns uh, Monmouth and Good Hope to charge at the Germans. Um, but the Germans just keep the, their accuracy is so good that they knock out the forward turrets on both, um, both armored cruisers. And then um, Good Hope explodes, taking the entire crew down with it. 
Um, of course, the Germans can't, because it's getting dark, they couldn't stop to pick up survivors even if they wanted to. And there was a, there was a heavy swell. Uh, so the lifeboats were no, were no good whatsoever. Um, Monmouth starts to sink. Uh, Dresden and Leipzig, uh, Glasgow stops firing because they, every time they fire, the muzzle flashes are betraying their position. And um, so Dresden and Leipzig are sent to go and find, look for British shipping. The Dresden is cruising along and it sees a cruiser coming towards it. So they go into an attack run to launch torpedoes. The Leipzig also sees a cruiser coming towards them, goes to attack run to launch torpedoes. And at the last minute, they realise that, that one of them's Leipzig, one of them's the Dresden, and so they pull off and not sink each other. Um, the Nuremberg, the Glasgow finds Monmouth sinking and signals them, what can we do? And the Monmouth says pretty much nothing. We're going to try and get out as best we can. And Glasgow, Captain Luce has to make the tough decision to leave the armoured cruiser because there's literally nothing they can do. And then the Nuremberg turns up because um, she'd been off stopping Allied shipping. It turns up late to the battle, comes across the Monmouth and um, tries to signal her to get her to surrender, but gets no response. The Union Jack is still flying. And one of the rules is if the ship is flying its flag, it's still a combatant. Right. Um, and this will, ha- this will haunt the East Asian squadron later. But um, Nuremberg, again, flashes for surrender. Monmouth turns to face her, so they feel that they're going to be come under fire. So von Schonberg, the captain, orders two torpedoes to be put into her, and she rolls over and goes down again with all hands. And so the only survivors are the um, Glasgow, the Otranto, and they they flee back to the Canopus and then back to the Falkland Islands. Um, for the British, it is it's a horrifying loss. Uh, for the Germans, they roll into Valparaiso Harbour, where they're greeted as heroes. Um, in fact, um, one uh, the German population there go absolutely mental. They get loads of reservists um, offering to, to join the German crew. And a lady comes and gives von Spee a large bunch of flowers. And he looks at them and he says, the fact they're very beautiful. They look great on my grave. And because he's now convinced that he's sunk a British fleet, he knows that the British will not let, he will not get home at all. Well, well. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's move on to that because it is really quite a sad end for this squadron, isn't it? So basically, Fisher goes, kill them! Um, and he runs, like he would, like he says, because he knows they're after him. Uh, what happens next? Well, if they'd... Von Spey takes his time. If he had left... They, they, they gather as many supplies as they could. And then they stop for five days in... in uh, St. Quentin Bay to re to recoal and resupply again, and this gives the British time to react. And Sturdy, uh, Vice Admiral Sturdy, comes hurtling south with the Invinci- Invincible and Inflexible and collects Stoddart's fleet and heads towards um, the Falkland Islands, where Canopus has now beached herself into a, as an island fortress and started putting guns around the island as well. So Invincible and Inflexible are big ass battle cruisers, right? Yeah, it's like Daddy's home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're basically the the um, they have the speed of a cruiser, um, but the armory of a battleship. Um, they're designed to take down armored cruisers, which is what von Spee's two main ships are. Um, and so, so von Spee stops, resupplies. Um, critically, to, they have two missed messages. Um, the Germans, a German agent in Uruguay, finds out that there's battle cruisers heading south doesn't pass it on um the fleet the, the cruiser squadron go to go around the cape horn 
uh, get caught in another storm, lose loads of coal. Leipzig and Dresden and Nuremberg almost capsize because of the, the strength of the storm and the fact that their decks are covered with coal. So the Germans have to, or the crew are on deck shoveling coal overboard to stop the ships from sinking. They then, as they pass through the Horn, um, a, there is a, wild, a German national, Alfred Pagels, who's a fisherman, uh, he, an ex-German sailor, hears that there's battle cruisers in the area and he takes his boat out in the storm to go and find the German cruiser squadron, but fatally doesn't see them to pass on the message. And so they keep going. And so Von Spey comes up with this great idea to avenge Samoa and to get coal, knowing that the only station place that they can go is the Falkland Islands. Mm-hmm. So he um, orders the, the plan is that the Neisnau and the Nuremberg will approach the Falkland Islands, um, dominate the harbour, uh, sink, any, sink any British ships that they find, because they're not expecting much there, Kid, um, arrest the governor, not kidnap, arrest the governor as a prisoner, in the, um, and take him back to Germany and take as much coal as they can possibly get. Right, or is it stupid? Um, or a bit of both? If, if, they, if they hadn't have wasted time, I say wasted time, if they'd have left and gone straight away, it would have been, and it would have been a really ballsy move. Mm. Um, I, I don't think they were expecting the British to react as quickly as they did. And I think they're kind of driven by desperation as well because they've heard reports from Berlin that they will get some resupply ships for them off Uruguay and up the Brazilian coast. But you, they can't guarantee that they're going to get them. But they, if they can have an armed landing, like they did at Tahiti, they mm. could indeed get um, as much coal as they could and also deny that position to the British as well. Um, so it is, it, is kind of a, it is kind of a ballsy move. It just doesn't play out that way. Um, and in fact, when, um, as they approach, as Neisnau and Nuremberg approach the island, they, uh, they see uh, tripod masts in the harbour and they think it's an old Queen class battleship. Then Canopus opens fire and hits, um, hits the funnel of the Neisnau. Um, great plumes of water appearing around them. And um, Captain Maker decides it's time to withdraw. He signals von Spey and he said, yeah, let's just get the hell out of here. So um, they, Go, try to pull away and faint as if they're heading back around the horn, but they're actually going to head off, regroup, and then head north again. But the canopus signals uh, sturdy because um, the tripod masks are actually the two battle cruisers. Um, they'd also seen, because the British had only arrived the day before, they were coaling, so there's large amounts of dust going up in the air. And so the Germans think that the, um, that the British are also burning the coal supplies like they did at Tahiti. Um, sturdy casually orders um, the fleet to gain steer, to get up steam and leave port and then goes and has breakfast and then they begin the chase so chris do you want to just then tell us how this plays out for for the for the germans and and for for the british as well well um for the german um for von spey they they because they think it's an old queen class battleship they think we get up enough steam we'll keep going but the um the battle crew the battle cruisers obviously faster than faster than them and so the German fleet is strung out with Scharnhorst and Neisnau leading, then the Dresden, Nuremberg and the Leipzig bringing up the rear and the resupply ships heading off. Uh, I think they were heading to Pitcairn Island and they'll go and join them later. Um, but it becomes obvious that the British are gaining. Um, to even, but the battle cruisers are going so fast that, vib- um, that the whole ships are vibrating, which makes the, the, the first salvos miss because they, they can't... Um, 
uh, calibrate the guns for it. Also, because of the amount of smoke they're generating, Sturdy has to redeploy the fleet so that the smoke of the lead ships aren't blocking the guns, of the, uh, the views of the gunners of the other ships. Um, Leipzig comes under fire. So von Spey decides that there's only one thing, because Leipzig, she won't last. So von Spey decides that the best course of action is for Scharnhorst and Nice now to buy time for the light cruisers with the lives of his men. So he turns Scharnhorst and Nice now round and tells the uh, light cruisers to scatter, um, which they tr- then attempt to do. So um, Scharnhorst and Nice now form a, uh, it's the, na- <laughs> the joyous naval term of cross the T, um, which they, they go um, vertically to the British horizontal so they can bring more guns to bear and um, start firing off ripple salvos sort of from front to back. Uh, apparently, uh, the British um, have said that the, the German gunnery was absolutely beautiful and it was pre- precise. It just didn't do any damage, um, no, no real damage. And then the British start firing with the Lidite, um, 12-inch Lidite shells. And um, one of the descriptions was that they were puncturing the German ships as if they were made of fine bone china. And um, it just becomes a massacre. Uh, at one point, uh, the Vice Admiral's pennant is uh, ripped away from um, Scharnhorst. Merker signals um, Scharnhorst um, because he's worried about his friend. Him and, him and von Spey have worked together quite for many years. Signals and says, is, is the Admiral right? And uh, he gets the response of, um, yeah, I'm doing fine. I think you might have been right that attacking the Falklands was a bad idea. <laughs> and then... Um, because because beforehand there'd been a conference between the captains and the admiral and he'd asked their opinions and Merker said, no, this, this is this is not a good idea and I've been overruled. But um, Scharnhorst then turns, um, signals and says, you go, for, you try and make as much steam as you possibly can. And Scharnhorst turns to single-handedly charge the two British battlecruisers, which, and it went as well as you'd expect. Um, there were, um, they could see fires through the holes in the ship. Um, the, the, but she carried on firing, and even when the water was up to the fore turret, she was still firing her guns. And then there was a rumble, and then the ship just went up straight down with her propellers still going. Um, no survivors. Um, the British carried on. Nice now wasn't going anywhere. She was just as damaged. Um, the, the, even the first aid um, hospital had been destroyed on board. Fleet, the fleet padre is killed. Um, the crew are in an awful state. And so Merker decides that there's nothing he can do and orders uh, the crew to abandon ship and they scuttle her. And um, what the survivors that do go into the water then start dying of shock because the water's freezing. Others get attacked by albatrosses, which I didn't know was a thing at first. But yeah, it was apparently quite savage. They're like pecking at eyes and stuff. It's really quite horrible. They're massive um, as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah they're they're really razor sharp bills, and they just started ripping the wounded men to pieces. Um, but they they do get picked up. They do pick up survivors. The rest of the squadron, uh, the supply ships, uh, uh, a couple of civilians on one of the islands see the see the supply ships go past and sig- uh, send a signal to uh, Sturdy saying that they think the Germans are landing Marines behind their back. So HMS Bristol and the uh, um, uh, liner Macedonia go and intercept them, sink them, take them all prisoner. Um, Leipzig, uh, the British then divide the, um, the lighter ships to chase the light cruisers with the armoured cruiser Kent chasing the Nuremberg and the armoured cruiser Cornwall chasing um, Leipzig and the Glasgow is going to chase the Dresden. Dresden manages to get a hit on Glasgow, which slows her down. So Glasgow, realising she's never going to catch Dresden, joins the Cornwall in sinking the Leipzig 
Leipzig puts up a fight. Uh, in fact, she stays afloat longer than Nuremberg. But um, there is one of those awful tragedies of war where the um, Leipzig is on fire. She's not going anywhere. They've tried torpedo runs. That's not going anywhere. The guns have all fallen silent. So the captain orders his men all on deck and they're going to, he's going to order abandoned ship. Glasgow signals and says, we don't want to, um, you must surrender. Um, and then something exploded on the deck of um, Leipzig. The British think they're under fire. And so they rake the decks where all the crew were all stood ready to abandon ship. So about hundred men get ripped to shreds. Um, the British then signal that the um, still think that they're a combatant because the flag's still flying, but there's a raging inferno at the bottom of the flagpole, so no one can get to it. One crewman goes to try and rip it down, gets burnt alive, and so everyone, the, the few handful of survivors that are still alive on um, Leipzig, go and take uh, shelter on the forecastle. Um, eventually, they manage to fire off green flares to try and signal surrender, and Glasgow signals that they're going to lower boats to try and uh, save them. And the captain hands out the last of the cigarettes, or the last of his cigarettes to the crew and say, good luck. And he walks back onto the bridge as the ship disappears under the waves. Um, most of the men that did get off died in the water because it's nine o'clock now, it's getting dark. And the only real survivors were the officers. And that was only because they had whistles and were able to um, bring attention to where they were in water. Um, Nuremberg's chased by Kent. Kent almost blows up. Um, with the, you get the exploding battle cruisers at Jutland. Kent had the same problem. She gets hit by a, hit by a shell, which sets fire to some um, cordite charges in one of the um, casements, which then starts a fire going down um, down into the um, shaft below. And if it had carried on to the magazine, Kent would have exploded. But one of the marine sergeants on duty sees the fire, douses the ready ammunition in water, and shuts the door. And he only gets the, um, the military cross for it or the military medal for it. I forget which one off the top of my head. But ultimately, he saved the Kent from, ultim- from destruction. Um, Kent being an armoured cruiser, she, they, they managed to stoke her up to above her, um, her commissioning speed. She's doing a lot faster than anyone thought she'd ever be able to do. And um, she catches up with Nuremberg and just takes her apart. Um, her commander later feels guilty about this and um, writes that he hopes that he wasn't overzealous and caused unnecessary casualties aboard. Nuremberg also comes to a stop. Her boilers explode because she was in dire need of a refit before the war started and they're just not ready to take the kind of speed that she's needed. And so two boilers go out and um, yeah, they they try to lower wounded in a lifeboat. The lifeboat falls apart because it's it's been holed with shell holes and the wounded all end up in the drink and die and then Nuremberg itself capsizes and I think only I think it's only about five or six survivors from Nuremberg as well and the rest of the crew were all killed include and um, in the battle not only did von Spey go down but his two sons uh, his youngest son on the Nice now and his oldest son on the Nuremberg I will um, never mock you again for your von Spey obsession he's a bad <laughs> ox isn't he I'll make, yeah, I, I'll make a note of that very quickly. Yeah, like live fast, die sort of young is basically his mantra, isn't it? I think if he got back to Germany, I think I think he was better than Scheer. I'm going to come out and say that. I think he could have, um, if he'd have got back, I think he would have ridden to be, risen to be head of the high seas fleet. And I think he would have been, done a, a damn good job at it. Um, he would have won the might... Battle of Jutland because we all know Germany didn't win the Battle of Jutland. We know they told everyone they did, Chris. Yeah, but they didn't. It, 
but they didn't lose either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a fight for another day. Um, Just a final <laughs> one on Von Schwey and his squadron. Were they on a hiding to nothing? And is, there, were there fundamental flaws with Cruiser Krieg? Um, yeah, I think basically the German government knew that all the cruisers that were on foreign station were write-offs. Um, and it was basically try and do as much damage as you can. I mean, um, they're, they're kind of reliant on, they need coal, so they have to get as much coal as possible. Their ammunition is always going to be finite because you can only get that from Austro-Hungarian bases or German bases. And Tsingtao was quickly um, quickly blockaded and eventually captured. Um, well, there's some great stories from that, from other part, remnants of the squadron, uh, the destroyer S90 um, and the air arm. But the cruisers create also as well. If you get damaged, you've got to, you can't really get repair. If you go to a neutral port, they can you can make your ship seaworthy, but you can't do anything to improve the war status of the ship. Um, so if you get in a battle and you get really damaged, you're going to have to intern. And um, but those that do get, but most of the squadron get caught and roundly sunk. Uh, Emden gets sunk at the Battle of the Cocos. They get massacred by uh, the Australian Sydney. In, my friend work, um, who works at the IWM with me actually used to work, um, when she went abroad, was in at the Australian War Memorial. And she said they will not shut up about the Emden because that uh, was the Australian like Navy's. For, yeah, that was, <laughs> That's like that was the, the first, first victory. That's like the the Australian Navy, isn't it? Yeah, they, they had, um, they, they, I mean, to be fair to Emden, that they were caught with a with their pants down. The fourth funnel didn't work uh, on that occasion, and um, yeah, the, an SOS call went out, and they were caught without steam. And um, the Sydney just took them again, just took them apart. Yeah. And um, I think again, they, they had done enough damage that that was it, it was going to happen. If the Emden got caught, they knew they were done. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other ships, um, Karlsruhe off the north coast of America, doesn't get mentioned very much, but she had a very good career as well. Um, she blows up for no apparent, um, they're not quite sure what caused it. It might be an ammunition problem. Uh, she was sailing to the Caribbean and then the Königsberg off Africa, um, ends up building a fortress in a river and daring the British to come and get them. And they take some months to get, get her out. Yeah. Um, but the von Spee squadron, um, Fisher just didn't want them there anymore. It's like, we're just going to re- eliminate this threat completely. And like I said, Churchill had pieces around, had organised pieces around. Von Spey wasn't going to get away. And even the Dresden, um, which did escape the Battle of the Falklands, um, had a whole fleet searching for her for about three months. Um, they tried hiding in um, off uh, Tierra del Fuego, off the south, south coast of America, where Pagels then turns up and starts guiding them around. They're, they're actually hidden on uh, British maps, um, the position that they're on. British maps count it as on land. And so they keep cruising past this isolated bay in the middle of nowhere where Dresden is hiding. Um, <laughs> Dresden, Dresden finally escapes, but they have to use the wireless to try and signal for supply ships because they're desperate. Um, they're actually using wood to try and burn in the boilers. And um, HMS Kent and Glasgow turn up and um, at Robinson Crusoe Island, the, what's left of the Dresden, because she's in quite a bad way at this point, is um, sunk. And um, the German crew um, have to abandon ship, which is where Tirpitz the pig is then fished from the, ocean, from the sea and um, given the Iron Cross by the crew of HMS Glasgow and she becomes the uh, mascot. But- oh, Tirpitz the pig, we love yeah. The head is at IWM. See, it wasn't that hard, was it? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. No. It's all like, oh, no, I'm <laughs> It's like, you don't need to prep. You're obsessed with this stuff. 
You know it. <laughs> and you even it's got the pig in, which means that everybody's happy. Yeah, <laughs> can't can't have that story without Turpitz the pig. Oh, and Admiral Canaris, um, who everyone everyone that's interested in World War Two, Admiral Canaris, head of the Abwehr, the German intelligence, who uh, was leading, uh, tried to was part of the plot to kill Hitler, had been a watch officer on um, Dresden, and he he goes aboard HMS Glasgow to uh, parley the surrender of Dresden, and then after the Dresden sinking, uh, the first officer had his leg blown off so he goes to hospital uh captain ludek has a, a nervous breakdown so canaris is in charge becomes in charge of the crew and he actually escapes from chile over the border into argentina gets a boat to holland and then from holland walks back to germany um because he can speak three languages and uh was he, he as well was quite a badass through the whole thing sounds like it we will have to do a podcast episode on him as well chris tell everyone the title of your book about the german cruiser squadron um, it is um, German Raiders of the First World War, um, Kaiserliche Marine Cruisers and the Epic Chases. We'll put yeah. it on the History Hack bookshop so everybody can buy. Get it. And I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> we'll buy Sophie presents. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's soundly asleep. Well, she's put something over her eyes. No? Yep. Yeah, she's grunting. She's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rest of us are still awake and we thought you were awesome. Thanks. <laughs> When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. The secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.